Our first reading this morning are words uh, from Walt Whitman, and it's a responsive reading number 645 in your hymnal. Song of the Open Road. A foot and light-hearted I take to the open road, healthy, free, the world before me. I inhale great draughts of space. The east and the west are mine. The north and the south are mine. Whoever you are, come travel with me. However sweet these laid-up stores, however convenient this dwelling, we cannot remain here. Together, the inducements shall be greater. We will sail pathless and wild seas. Forward after the great companions, and to belong to them, they too are on the road. To see nothing anywhere but what you may reach it and pass it. To look up or down no road, but it stretches and waits for you. The second reading is also from Walt Whitman from his famous collection called Leaves of Grass, written in 1855, or first published in 1855. A child said, what is the grass, fetching it to me with full hands? How could I answer the child? I do not know what it is any more than he. I guess it must be the flag of my disposition out of hopeful green stuff woven. Or I guess it is the handkerchief of the Lord, a scented gift and remembrancer designedly dropped, bearing the owner's name some way in the corners that we may see and remark and say, Whose? Or I guess the grass is itself a child, the produced babe of the vegetation. Or I guess it is a uniform hieroglyphic, and it means sprouting alike in broad zones and narrow zones, growing among black folks as among white. And now it seems to me the beautiful uncut hair of graves. Tenderly I will use you, curling grass. It may be you transpire from the breasts of young men. It may be if I had known them, I would have loved them. It may be you are from old people and from women and from offspring taken too soon out of their mother's laps. What do you think has become of the young and old men? What do you think has become of the women and children, they are alive and well somewhere. The smallest sprouts show there is really no death, and if ever there was, it led forward life.
A child said, what is the grass? Fetching it to me with full hands, how could I answer the child? Several of you have asked me about my sermon title, What is the Grass? What do you mean, what is the grass? <laughs> are you going to preach about legalizing medical marijuana? Because if you are, I'm in. <laughs> you old hippie. <laughs> or has winter been so long and the snow so deep that you really can't remember what a green lawn is? What is the grass? Grass? A child said, what is the grass? Fetching it to me with full hands. Our theme of the month, February's theological theme, is doubt. This is the last Sunday in February. I started out thinking about doubt, really thinking about doubt, and I ended up thinking about grass. Or more accurately, thinking about the curiosity of the child the curiosity of the young child that springs from a place that's pre-doubt. There's a time before we learn to doubt, isn't there? A time when a blade of grass provides wonder enough. And often over time that changes. There's a poem by Brian Patton called A Blade of Grass. It goes like this. You ask for a poem. I offer you a blade of grass. You say it is not good enough. You ask for a poem. I say this blade of grass will do. It has dressed itself in frost. It is more immediate than any image of my making. You say it is not a poem. It is a blade of grass, and grass is not quite good enough. I offer you a blade of grass. You are indignant. You say it is too easy to offer grass. It is absurd. Anyone can offer a blade of grass. You ask for a poem. So I write about how a blade of grass becomes more and more difficult to offer. And about how, as you grow older, a blade of grass becomes more difficult to accept. Poets love grass. <laughs> Prophets love grass. All flesh is grass, says Isaiah. The psalmist loves grass. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. But... The steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. And in present-day psalmist Mary Oliver's poems, grass is always springing up. Every day, Mary writes, I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. Grass is life. Life is miracle. So grass is miracle, an ordinary miracle like us. I believe a leaf of grass is no less than the journey work of the stars. Walt Whitman. Walt, Uncle Walt to us. I want to bring Walt Whitman into this room with us today. He belongs with us, Unitarian Universalists, Americans of liberal faith. I don't want us to forget him. He is ours 
Even though he wrote 150 years ago, listen, this is another place. He's sprinkled throughout our hymnal. Here's another one. We consider Bibles and religions divine. I do not say they are not divine. I say they have all grown out of you and may grow out of you still. It is not they who give life. It is you who give life. Will you seek afar off? You surely come back at last. Happiness, knowledge, not in another place, but this place. Not for another hour, but this hour. Were you here for worship last Sunday? Yeah. Did you witness the power and energy in this sanctuary? And were you part of that spirited service with our kids, our rock band, our new leader, the Reverend Justin Schroeder? I felt the crackle and hum of possibility, and I know many of you did too. I'm not invoking Walt Whitman today because I'm an English major and he's a good writer. Some of his work is ingeniously awful. I'm bringing him in because he's good nourishment for us. We need to know about our deep roots in this culture. Walt offers us strength and grounding for the growth and the very good times ahead. When Leaves of Grass, Whitman's collection of poems, was self-published in uh, 1855 in Brooklyn, New York, Ralph Waldo Emerson, also ours, read it and said, at last, the one we've been waiting for, finally the first truly American voice, part Gita and part New York Herald. He said he's part song thrush and part alligator. The first one to really break with old European rhymes and rhythms and use the language of our land, our consciousness, our democracy. D.H. Lawrence, Whitman's critic and champion, said this about Whitman's message. Whitman was the first to smash the old moral conception that the soul of man is something superior and above the flesh. Even Emerson still maintained this tiresome superiority of the soul. Whitman was the first heroic seer to seize the soul by the scruff of her neck and plant her down among the potsherds and say, There, stay there, stay in the flesh, stay in the limbs and the lips and the belly, stay in the breast and the womb, Stay in the dark limbs of the Negroes. Stay in the body of the prostitute. Stay in the marsh where the calamus grows. Stay there, soul, where you belong. The great home of the soul is the open road, not heaven, not paradise. Not through sacrifice or fasting or good works does the soul accomplish herself. Only through the journey itself down the open road exposed to full contact on two slow feet in company with those that drift in the same measure along the way, the way of the open road. I've been a Unitarian Universalist for nearly 30 years, and for close to 20 years I've been serving this faith professionally, I'm still and always looking for new ways to express who we are in this culture, in this American society of which we seem to be such a small but persistent and passionate part. When our pledge drive comes around, I'm inspired once again to seize some image or idea that can help us understand what we're investing in when we fill out 
our pledge cards and promise real dollars and offer this faith to our children. I'm with Reverend Schroeder and many of you in letting my pledge speak. I'm giving 5% of my salary back to the church budget this year. Why? Because we're wonderful, loving people and I want us to thrive and give back to the world. Yes, of course, but there's more. Investing in this church is a way to stand for a way of faith, a religious tradition that is deeply, legitimately American, but is not easy to describe to the culture at large. Or maybe it's too easy. When someone asks me on the plane or at a wedding reception, and never so far in an elevator, Ask me, what do Unitarian Universalists believe? I am tempted to do something really simple, as simple as offering a blade of grass. Ginny got me one right here. Here, I would say, this is what we're about. <laughs> the mystery of life. But they might say, I want to know what is your creed. This is it, I would say. Look, this blade of grass has dressed itself in frost. Everything is holy now. It's too easy to offer a blade of grass, they might say. Tell me about your moral doctrine. Who are the sinners and who are the saved? But this blade of grass, I would say. Look closely, it knows how to make the color green. See how, how the, the tiny veins carry nourishment? See how fragile it is, yet how resilient, how canny and resourceful. It can be anything we let it be. A flag, a prayer, a speaking tongue, a symbol of equality. God's handkerchief dropped at our feet. This blade of grass really is no less than the journey work of stars. When I thought about our theme of the month, doubt, I came to the realization that though I may and do doubt myself and humanity in general from time to time, doubt isn't a big religious issue for me. Is it for you? Sometimes yes, sometimes no is what I'm getting. I guess if I lived inside a house of doctrine, of right belief. If I lived inside a house of doctrine, very solid and very tight, and then the roof sprang a leak or the foundation shook, I would have reason to doubt. But as it is, I don't live inside that house. I'm out of doors, on the road, pretty much with you and Whitman traveling that open road not so much threatened by doubt as, as moved and motivated by curiosity. What will we find around the bend? We'll keep walking and we'll see. And all this, dear ones, has been leading up to a story. It's a current story about the open road, an on-the-ground example that makes a bridge from Whitman to us from then to now. It's a true story about someone we know and love, Heidi Mastrud, our director of congregational life. Last Sunday, Heidi and Justin were up here performing the miracle of loaves and fishes for our children. 
And if I haven't told you lately how blessed we are by our church staff, I'm telling you now, we are blessed. A few weeks ago at, um, at our staff lunch table, we often eat together, Heidi told a story that was a miracle to me, and I asked if she'd write it and if I could share it. So here it is. These are all going to be Heidi's words until I tell you otherwise. Hello? My soon-to-be six-year-old daughter walked onto the porch of my parents' house and shouted into the night. It was January, the month of her birthday, and typically the coldest month in Minnesota, but a recent warm-up to 10 degrees allowed us to linger a bit longer outside, resting in the hush of the dark night. Hello, she shouted again, enjoying the slight echo that the cold air produced. Are you there, God? I gave her a sideways glance. She'd asked about God before, but never like this challenging God to show up. Mommy, try it, she said with a grin. Hello, I yelled. Her two-year-old brother laughed and started chanting, Are you there, God? Are you there, God? Are you there, God? Unsure what rule had changed that made it okay to shout in the street. As we walked the half block to the car, Beatrice kept up her questions. Where are you, God? Are you a bad God? Are you a good God? Do you live here on earth? When will we see you? Are you there, God? And then in the same voice that I used to rouse her from bed, Are you there? (laughs) When we got into the car, she shared eagerly the, the results of her experiment. There can't be a God because he didn't come out when I called him. Earlier that night, I had walked to my childhood home, Heidi says. My siblings and our partners and kids joined my parents every Monday for dinner. This night, I walked, I walked in a little earlier than usual and saw a relatively subdued group sitting in front of a wood fire in the living room. My 67-year-old mother's hand was being held by my younger sister. Mom lay there under blankets, head bare except for gray fuzz. It had been four years since her breast cancer spread to bone, to liver, to lung. There had been a time when our large family had been almost giddy with it all, my mother responding to medications in a picture-perfect way, thinking that this too we could rally round as when we have, have to move a heavy table or take meals to new parents. In the past three months, however, things had been diminishing quickly. I had spent years wishing that I could beat my mom at Scrabble, but now that victory became, now that victory came because drugs were making her foggy, I wished for anything that she could win a game again. My little sister looked to my mom and asked, should I tell her? A barely perceptible nod. Bridget turned toward me and said, Mom got bad news today. I looked at her puzzled. She continued, she went for an MRI and she has brain cancer. She has to do three weeks of radiation. I looked at my mom, tears welling in my eyes. It's not good, she said. And there, for the first time since the initial diagnosis four years ago, I cried in front of my mom. My mom, who we always knew was dying, even though our forceful collective unit was doing our best to beat the damn thing back, the weakest fighting the hardest. There was a time, too, when the cancer had made me angry with my religion. 
as a birthright Unitarian Universalist, I had never been handed any answers to questions about the presence of God, the nature of afterlife, the meaning of it all. I had spent most of my adult life as a doubtful atheist, yearning to believe, but mostly having my rational mind get in the way, seeking proof like my daughter, wanting an answer to the echo in the night sky. Lately, however, I had been reconciling myself to God and to, universe, and to Unitarian Universalism. The more I considered the questions, and the dying process of my mother was definitely making me consider the questions, the more I understood that people who claim to know the answers had probably been dealing in religious platitudes. The truth of it for me is that God doesn't answer an echoing question in the sky, even for two beautiful children whose grandmother is dying. We cannot know. That's the simple truth of it all. But I can say for certain that the lack of an answer doesn't mean the lack of a presence. Are you there, God? Are you? Sometimes I doubt it, sometimes I believe it, and sometimes I feel tired by the conversation. But my doubting has led me to question, which has led me to feel, which is slowly, in a picking my way across an icy street kind of way, leading me to wholeness. There ends Heidi's story. What is the grass? The child asks, fetching it to me with full hands. How could I answer the child? I do not know what it is any more than he. Are you there, God? The child asks, out on the open road, shouting the question into the night air. I do not know any more than she. Decades ago, D.H. Lawrence said, America, to this day, is sick with saviorism. But Whitman, the first American teacher, was no savior. His morality was no morality of salvation. His was a morality of the soul living her life, not saving herself. In my father's house are many mansions. No, said Whitman, keep out of mansions. Strictly avoid mansions. The soul is herself when she is going on foot down the open road. It is the American heroic message, says Lawrence. The soul is not to pile up defenses around herself. She is not to cry to some God beyond for salvation. She is to go down the open road as the road opens, keeping company with those whose soul draws them near to her, accomplishing nothing save the journey and the works incident to the journey in the long life travel into the unknown. I hear that and I say, well, there we are. And here we are. In good company, hand in hand, walking that road. Blessed be, praise God, may it be so. And will you join me in prayer?
spirit of life, spirit of life of the grass, of the soul of the child. We know we are made for ecstasy and wholeness, not just for getting it right or muddling through. For this, we give our deep thanks. May we be more and more a community of the heart, gathered around the mystery, gathered to celebrate life, to ask great questions, to grow in wisdom, and to learn to love. Amen.